passage may be one of uh, the most familiar <clears throat> to more Christians around the world. And so I want to give you a caution. Sometimes when we're in a familiar passage, our tendency is to say, yeah, yeah, I, I know what's in there and, and so on. I've heard this before. Don't do that with this. This is an amazing account, a real account. This is not a story. This took place. And so let's give our full attention. I'd encourage you to follow along. If you don't have your own Bible, use the Pew Bible in front of you. You can find the, the page number in the worship guide. We're in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the, the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So, so the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let's go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's bow together. Lord, even if we are familiar with this passage, will you give us ears and hearts anxious to hear from you? We're asking for faith. There are some here, Lord, who, who would say, I have no faith, and others that would say, my faith is weak or wavering. And then there are some that think their faith is strong, but, but it isn't being tested right now. So, Lord, will you cause your spirit to move among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so let's look at the, the setting. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, verse 1. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. This Bethany, as we'll see later in the passage, as I just read, is, is only a couple miles from uh, Jerusalem. And so they, they figure maybe a, a 40, 45 minute uh, walk. Um, this was a family that Jesus was particularly fond of. He stayed with them, seemed to stay with them often, and maybe even all during Passion Week, he might have gone into Jerusalem and then come back out and stayed with this family. This, this Bethany was where uh, he began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You may be familiar with Mary and Martha. Very different personalities. And this Mary is identified as the one that anointed Jesus, which actually, as, as we know, John kind of gives his little commentary as he goes along in the gospel. Well, he's, he's basically saying, this is the one that anointed Jesus and, and that's going to take place in chapter 12. So, but he's just clarifying which Mary this was. So what, what was the problem? Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So again, you've got, uh, you know, it shows the closeness of uh, Jesus and Lazarus that they would inform Jesus. Either he was, uh, he was very, very ill, as we know he was, uh, but that in combination with the fact of saying, well, we need to let Jesus know. There's no indication here. We just don't know if, if they 
from that statement if they were expecting him to, to do anything, although when he got there, you begin to see the expectations that they had. So look at this fascinating uh, response down in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So here, here's an unexpected response on, on a, a couple of, of levels. Uh, Jesus first says it's not going to lead to death, which it does. But he's about to redefine death for the believer. But he also seems rather unruffled, unhurried, nonchalant. Now, he wasn't, but that might have been their, their impression here. The other thing is that he indicates there's a purpose in this sickness, and what's going to happen is going to further demonstrate who Jesus is. Did you catch that? Illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So he's saying this isn't just about this illness. God's doing something here. Verse 5 then. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I put those two verses together because they don't seem to fit together, do they? I mean, when you, when you think of it, oh, he, he really loved that family. He really loved Lazarus. So he stayed right where he was when he got the news how sick Lazarus was. And it almost, it almost feels like, well, wait, what's the deal here? And so, as we think about this, if we were trying to figure out what was best for Lazarus, if somebody asked me, and I was a believer in Jesus, what would be best for Lazarus? Well, get Jesus over there as soon as possible. And yet, that's not what takes place. We would think he, you know, he, he really needs Jesus if for nothing else for the comfort of Jesus being present with him. We might even go so far to say if you really love Martha and Mary and Lazarus you're going to hurry and help them. But here's the God view of things. Sometimes we get that glimpse a lot of times we just get the, the horizontal, and that's all we ever have, really, other than in the Scripture. But here, we're, we're getting a, a different view because we're saying, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, so what's the deal? Well, it's precisely because he loves them so much that he delays. And us looking back, we can see that. We can see why. That would be a positive thing for him to delay. But when you're in the middle of it, I'm sure it didn't make sense. In fact, it's precisely of the delay 
that we are given such assurance that Jesus has the power of resurrection, if he had not delayed, if, if it hadn't happened as it did, we wouldn't have had this <clears throat> great and amazing promise that he is the resurrection. We wouldn't have seen that. It's because of the delay that we can know how we have a relationship with him that will lead to eternal life. When he says, I am the resurrection, he who believes. One commentator put it this way, Jesus delayed love, quotes around delayed love, is a marvelous love. So let's, let's do some application here before we move forward. First of all, God sometimes delays his response to us. Anybody here like that? I wouldn't be raising my hand either. Because typically, I know the best timing. I know when, when God should answer me. And how. But sometimes God delays in his response to us. Secondly, his delay seldom feels loving. In other words, when you're in that period of delay, for them it was a few days. Sometimes it's a few weeks, a few months, and maybe years. So when you're in that delay period, it seldom feels loving. And it's sometimes hard to remember that in spite of the delay, God has a purpose and he really loves me. However, we should not interpret God's delay as a lack of care for us. We see that here. And, and, and then fourthly, even though we may not know the reason for his delay, and we may never know the reason for his delay in this life, we can be confident that there is a reason and that he always does what's best for his children. And then further, his reason for delay is, is probably multifaceted. In other words, we, we tend to try to figure out and we, we may think, well, what's the, the reason for his delay. Well, it may not be a reason. It may be many. It may be millions of reasons for him to do that. Let me give you some examples just in this situation in terms of how multifaceted it is. Jesus had already said, this is for the glory of God. That's one reason. Then he says that it's for you, my disciples, that you might believe. And then we see it's for Mary and Martha's faith for it to be shored up and strengthened. And then in verse 45, it says many Jews believed. So that was another reason for it. And then we've all benefited from the anguish that Mary and Martha went through. All of us, everyone down through the centuries, have benefited 
because of what they went through and because Jesus delayed. By the way, do you know who benefited the least in my view? <laughs> yeah, Lazarus. Wait, think about it. He, he was already with the Lord. There's no benefit to, to come back into this life and to have to get sick again and die again. Even though many would think, oh, poor Lazarus, what a great thing that he was resurrected. And, and it is because of how Jesus used it. So look at the decision then to go to Bethany, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So if you remember, in, in, just in John we have recorded, at least twice he had narrow escapes from execution. One recent one. So his disciples are saying, look, you're putting yourself in danger to go back to that part of the country. So they weren't particularly upset about his delay or lack of responsiveness. But Jesus is going to seize on, on, on that view to teach them. He, he, verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, look, and, and the 12 hours in the day, that's basically how they divided their days up. That would be the daylight time. And, he's, and that's when people would want to get things done. He's saying, look, when there's an opportunity, we need to take that opportunity. Don't wait, wait till the darkness closes in. That's basically what he's, he's teaching him to, to them to make the most of opportunities for ministry. And by the way, we are, we are immortal until we've finished what God has for us in this life. He wasn't worried. The disciples were. But he's basically showing them, look, if we, we need to be where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do. In verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. <laughs> I think they were trying to, to, to jump on that and, and, and say, Well, that's a good reason that we don't need to go if he's just sleeping. We don't want to wake him up, do we, Lord? He goes on. John clarifies verse 13. Now, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they, they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So John's making a commentary about that. And then Jesus clarifies it, verse 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. See, there's another reason. But let's go to him. Presumably, 
He was glad he wasn't there to heal Lazarus because this was going to give them an, an opportunity for belief that they wouldn't have had if he had healed him. They'd seen him heal before. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So here we have Eeyore, I mean Thomas, poor Thomas, uh, you know, here he calls him the twin. What, what do we know him as? Doubting Thomas. Well, you know, he didn't doubt any more than, than the rest of us, and in, in fact, he came to belief, didn't he? Maybe he should have been, as one commentator said, uh, he should have been called Believing Thomas, but uh, that same commentator said it might be more fair to call him Unenthusiastic Thomas. <laughs> I like that. And uh, look, this should encourage some of you. If you find yourself being that kind of a, a, a personality where you know, here, here is the opportunity, let's go. And all you can think of is all the reasons why, oh, that's not a good idea. Let's, no, let, you know, and, and you're, you're thinking, but it might, you know, it might rain, we might, you know, car may break down and, and all these things. And if you find yourself in that way, I want you to be, I'm not pointing at anybody, but I want you to be encouraged today. Because here is Thomas. Jesus knew him inside and out. He knew that, that tendency. He knew that personality that he had. And he knew he was going to be with him for the next several years. But he chose him to use him. So be encouraged if you find yourself struggling for joy, struggling for enthusiasm. Jesus can use you too. Look at what Jesus found when he got to Bethany. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So the timing fits here. Jesus had been up in the region, it said, where, uh, where John had been baptizing. That's uh, probably 100 miles away. So that would fit uh, with you know, the delay and then probably a, a, a good four-day journey for them. Now in that part of the world with uh, the heat and so on, they would bury bodies very quickly. And so what you had is that the, the grief and the mourning was in, in full swing here. Uh, people were there, and uh, the, the sisters would have been there with, uh, you know, sitting there waiting, and people would come to them and uh, express their grief along with them. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
but Mary remained seated in the house. Isn't that just like them? Mary liked to sit, didn't she? And Martha was probably looking for an excuse to get up and quit sitting around. So she's the first one to jump up and uh, to go and to see Jesus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, depending on how you hear this, it could be complaining. It could be a rebuke of Jesus. Uh, and it does have at least some faith mixed in. So, think about it. She seems disappointed that he didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do, which would have been to come quickly. She, they didn't make that explicit. They just told him about it. But I think there, it seems to me the expectation was, well, Jesus will come and he'll, he'll be here. But when she expresses her faith, there are some limitations. She limits Jesus, doesn't she? When she says, if, if you'd been here, you could have done something. Now think about that. She's talking to the, the God of the universe and saying, man, you are a hundred miles away. If you were only closer, if you'd only been in the room with him. And I, as, I, as I thought about that, I thought, boy, how often are we that way? We, we tend to limit what God can do when we think of our own limitations. But she does display faith by indicating she knows that he could still act. Now, there's probably no reason for her to think he was going to do what he ended up doing, and that is call him out of the grave, which we're going to look at next week. But she said, you know what, I, I, I do know that, that you still, God could do something. Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on that last day. So here again, she's showing faith. This, this makes sense. Well, I know, I know about the resurrection. And yes, that's a comfort, but we're missing him right now was the issue. But they'd never seen a resurrection. Even us being on this side of that miracle, it's hard to, hard to picture, isn't it? And so look at the, look at the promise when she says, I, I know there's a resurrection coming. Jesus basically corrects her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You see what he does? He, this is the fifth of the seven I am statements in John. He had said, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. And now he says, I'm the resurrection. And remember, though, 
He stated that before he raised Lazarus. So they probably were still wondering what that meant when they're there basically at a funeral and the aftermath of a funeral. So what Jesus does is he, he moves the resurrection from a doctrine, from something that's going to happen in the future, and he moves it to himself. And he says, no, you know, I, I am what you're looking forward to. It's, it's me. It's in me. It's embodied in him from something in the future to something that is available to his people in power. Whoever believes in me, he says, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So he's saying physically, yes, you'll die. But it's going to be different. It's different than you ever imagined. And this is important to understand. There are those who imply if you follow Christ, then everything will be okay. You will be, uh, you'll be able to pay all your bills. You, you, you don't have to worry about sickness. It's called the prosperity gospel. You see it all over the TV. And that's the implication. And Jesus just won't have that. He paints the, the true picture. He's saying, living in this life, you're in a fallen world. And being in a fallen world means there is death here. And there is illness here. But here's the true gospel, not the prosperity gospel, but the, the true gospel is, but it's different for the believer. We still face the things unbelievers face. But there's a difference. What's the benefit? He says, you'll live and never die, spiritually. Eternal life with God. You're headed toward eternity with Him. Now look, everyone lives forever. So it's not just about longevity. It's about where we will live forever. For the believer, it is living forever with Christ. For the unbeliever, it is living forever separated from God. A few years ago, there was a, a book written by a pastor. He was a pastor at the time. And it was called Love Wins. His, his point was this, is that, yeah, believers, you know, they have this, 
this uh, uh, wonderful heaven and so on, but there is no hell. That was his way of coping with hell. Now here's the problem. The same scripture that teaches about heaven teaches about hell. The same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught about both. Not only does it not do any good to deny that there's no hell, because there is a hell, it's cruel and dangerous to say there will be no hell. Love wins, but love won on the cross when Jesus paid everything that was necessary so that those who would believe will be with him forever and never face hell. That's when love won. And Jesus says after that statement, do you believe this? We have called this series Believe. And that's because John 20, 31 says, uh, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus says, here's his question, do you believe this? Which is for all of us to answer. And Martha answers. She says, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So there it is. That profession of faith, that confession of faith. We, we often focus on Peter's confession. This one is, is completely parallel with that. But here's what we can see. It has, her confession has content. She says, you're the Christ. She's proclaiming him to be the Messiah, the one who brings salvation, the anointed one, the final prophet, priest, and king. Then she says, the Son of God. She is, she's saying she believed in his unique deity, the one who's coming into the world, that Jesus is the one promised in the Old Testament to bring salvation. Here's the point. It's all about Jesus. Her confession was all about Jesus, and it wasn't some minimalist salvation saying, just say yes to Jesus. She did more than just say yes. She confessed who he is. And that's, that's what it is. It's not saying, you know, I, I really like the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount, but, but he says some hard things over here. I don't like that as much. She's saying, I want all of him. And that's who you are, and that's who I believe in. May God grant us that faith to believe in the true Christ. Let's bow. Lord, we ask for faith. We continue to pray that you would give us that. And Lord, even now, if there are new hearts desiring to believe, enable them to trust in you alone. 
for eternal life, to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.